2: Fast Money does start right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Ryan Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast. Apple getting sliced, having its worst two-day losing streak in five years. One of our traders, though, says this could be your chance to buy the stock. Plus, energy bouncing back today. It's one of the best-performing sectors in the past week. The chart master will be around. He'll tell you if it's the beginning of a major turnaround. He'll be here to explain, as I said. First, though, we start with the markets rallying today. The Dow soaring more than 200 points. Stocks continuing to pair their October losses. This is in the face of what could be the perfect market storm brewing. A huge week ahead. We're bracing for the midterms tomorrow. The Fed gearing up for its November meeting. Trade headlines are flying fast and furious. So will the midterms be the event that reignites the selling into the end of the year? Or can the market rally in the face of gathering headwinds, Guy Adami?
3: Welcome. Thank you. Great to have you Thank on you. board. Thank you. It's nice to be one. here. I'll try, I'll try to intelligently answer your question, but I go back to 2016, and if you had told me prior to the election that candidate Trump was going to be elected president of the United States, I would have said you, Scott, the markets go down anywhere from 12 to 15 percent over the next month or so, and for about five hours I was right. Obviously, we know how that story played itself out. So I'd love to be able to answer this. I'm not necessarily sure I can. I would think that if the Republicans and somehow hold serve, it's in a short-term bullish, but I think the headwinds that the market faces are more than just these elections, so to answer your questions, I think the selling will continue. All right, Karen, how do you see it playing out? Let's let's just say the the
2: Democrats winning the House seems to be priced in, right? Base case, that's where we seem to be.
4: Right. I think so. I think, then that, I think the market probably does a little bit better. The market hates uncertainty. There will be then one piece of information that we do know, which is how the House ended up. But to me, the bigger issues are still the trade situation. That's the number one. And then the Fed, close on the heels of that. So I'd like to get some clarity. I do agree with, with Guy, though, if, it, if Republicans keep yep. or keep both, I think a short-term up market.
2: If, yeah, yeah. if everything goes to what the market seems to think will happen, what happens to the stocks?
4: Well, let, let's face Republicans it. Republicans
2: keep the Senate, we go into these, take the House.
1: Yeah, we go into these midterm elections with, with as much of, of a negative kind of momentum push into markets than we've had, I bet, into the last handful of, of midterm elections. So we know the numbers. Fourth quarter after midterms uh, tends to do very well, even the first quarter. In fact, I think it's about 4% into year-end is what, what the numbers tell us on average. Um, I, I look at it as I, I think that a blue wave which I don't think is a high probability, I think it's a very low probability, would be very negative for markets. Markets are not priced for that. Um, are markets priced for the House to be lost to the Democrats? I'm not so sure. But the bottom line here is I actually think that if markets actually do have a Democratic House, that ultimately for stocks, that's not a terrible thing. And that means actually less fiscal, less pressure upward on rates, possibly a- an opportunity to see the Fed step back a little bit. And I know, look, and we had massive numbers out today in the ISM. This economy isn't even close to a recession. So I think, If you put a little, just you know,
5: cool things down a little bit, which I think that all of that would, I think it's not bad. Well, and I think that's the point, right? The market. If you look at the economy. All numbers say hey, everything's going great. Now the stock market might tell you a different story, but if in terms of what's good for the stock market or what's good for the economy, it's basically a status quo. You know, make sure nothing is unwound at this point in time. I'm not exactly sure what that means though. I'm not sure if the Republicans win, if that means that status quo status quo uh, remains or if the Democrats happen to have this blue wave, then does that mean that nothing changes? You guys think Perhaps it's to still me, If I knew it- the outcome, I don't know Exactly how is, trade.
2: is it in doubt as to
3: whether, Guy, the correction's over? Are we still in doubt about that? I think a lot of people think it's over, absolutely. I have absolute doubts. Now, I will say, a week or so ago when the market was down, I think 10.5% in the S&P, I thought there was another three and a half four percent 4% to the downside. It's absolutely rallied since then. But I don't think the headwinds that took us down have abated at all. So I don't think the trade rates, is over. Everything that Karen just growth, mentioned. Growth scare. No, without question, So, yes, I do think there is another leg lower. It would make sense to me. With that said, I have thought that numerous times over the last five or six years only to be proven wrong. Well, I think some of the trades that have actually
1: been working since October, and, of course, when we say October, we're talking about a terrible stretch for the markets. But remember, financials have actually outperformed the market since the beginning of October. So have emerging markets, both by 2 3%. Triple Qs have underperformed by about 3.5%. So has some parts of the discretionary landscape. I think a lot of that continues, and I think that pressure is the more important setup for markets. Where are we on valuations? Where do people feel comfortable in an environment where invariably the Fed is going to continue to move and people wonder how
2: aggressively? I think those trends stay very Karen, much you want time. to take a stab at you whether you think that the correction's now over or if we're still at risk of, of retesting some lows or going even lower than we saw?
4: I kind of think it's somewhat... Oh, I think it's over. I mean, I, I think that there, the bounce back has been pretty strong. I don't see... Like the industrial bounce back. I think we could get... If, if we have some... You know, the either party actually we could get an infrastructure bill and that would be some support for the industrials so I'm not selling anything into this. No
2: one's worried about, you know, this continued wreck in always tech. I'm well, I I mean, yeah, What I mean, we've seen in me, tech is still pretty ugly. Right. And NASDAQ's look, still in just, just look at today,
5: right? I mean, that was really ugly in NASDAQ. And I know there was a particular headline out there that perhaps there'd be some uh, looking into the Internet giants. But that's just a one-day event. We've had some tremendous sell-offs here, some real damage done. The other thing I would say you need to watch is the dollar. I've been harping on this for a long time, but the dollar is the new VIX. EM has improved because the dollar dropped down. So if the dollar can even just stay sideways, then I think we're okay. Then we're probably out of that correction. And, but, but, but if you get a rip in the dollar, you've got a problem again. And, and I, I think if the Republicans hold serve,
1: by the way, I think the dollar is actually the biggest risk to move higher. I mean, let's face it, we've got a lot of fiscal, um, you know, uncertainty right now in terms of how we're going to fund this. We're continuing to actually also have to fund this in a treasury market that's going to do twice as much refunding as next year as, as last year. I think the dollar, where you at least keep the status quo, possibly infuse. I don't think we're going to get that middle, ca- middle class tax cut. But if you get a, a, an infrastructure bill, uh, I agree with Brian, though. I, I think the dollar is very important for the markets. And actually, if you listen to what the multinationals were saying over this last right. earnings period, they were the ones that seemed to be most at risk.
2: Can you declare the correction over as long as tech remains as weak as it is?
1: No, I don't think you can, Scott. And, and I think where we've had leadership, both in terms of earnings and performance by the S&P, we all know those numbers also. We talk about them all the time. Um, I, I don't think it has to be devastating. And I think either way, l- let's face it, we, we've been looking at industrials. Think about the companies that surprised at the upside this earnings season, the companies like GM that at least caught people by surprise, didn't catch us by surprise. And that I think uh, the fundamentals in some of these names remain very good with attractive valuations. Uh, a lot of the energy and the resource space so beaten up. So uh, I think we got good numbers out out of those places in this earnings period, and I think we'll probably continue to follow that trade.
2: All right. Our next guest says get ready for a year-end rally no matter what happens at the polls. Let's bring in Savita Sobermanian. She's the head of U.S. equity that strategy at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Nice to see you. Welcome.
6: Thanks. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if I would say no matter what happens at the <laughs> polls. Um, but I think that, um, you know, under the two scenarios that are most likely, which is you know, a uh, uh, split government um, with uh, Democrats taking the House or Republicans maintaining. I think both of those scenarios are actually pretty positive or, you know, kind of neutral to positive. Yeah. For, for I mean, his- I
2: history's on your side, right? If you think that, you know, more times than not. There's been a ramp up after midterm oh, yeah. elections.
6: Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, yeah, is, so it's just from is the Is this time different on that, though?
2: I mean, we just talked about all these forces at work.
1: Couldn't yeah, there's a lot that of time? other
6: factors at play here. We've got the Fed tightening. We've got central bank balance sheets starting to drift lower after moving higher for Trade many, fight. many years. Trade wars. So lots of, lots of uh, uh, items on the table. You know, I think, though... Um, What's really spooked the market is the Fed and trade risk. Those are the two factors that we found explain a lot of the, the um, you know, the downside that we've seen over the last few weeks. Um, you know, so I don't know if the midterm election actually matters all that much in terms of staving off um, negative sentiment. Or well, because a, as a we were drive. saying
2: on the desk, the headwinds haven't gone away. Exactly. And they're likely not so going to. the headwinds to.
6: are firmly in place. I think the good news about trade risk is that it's it seems to be priced into the market pretty extensively. So if you look at the sectors that would be most hit by, um, by tariffs, Um, you know, either companies that import a lot from overseas or companies that export a lot, their multiple compression has been significant this year. Since February, when Trump started talking about this, you've seen these multiples like compress. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, earnings have still been very solid. So I think that, that a lot of this risk is in the market at this point. So
4: let me ask you, on trade then, you think there's an asymmetric risk if there is a deal on trade, that that would be a very big, it's not priced in at all?
6: I think that would be a really big positive because I think a lot of the the, the overhang and where we've seen multiples compress the most are really around the trade-oriented or trade-affected sectors. So if we did see a resolution, I think that's a cause for a real knee-jerk rally. Do
7: you
2: care? are that's you are saying right, you don't you don't agree with that? I mean, I, no, no, I you do agree. Right? I do.
6: I've been thinking trade has been getting
4: praised. That's what <clears throat> that's what a lot of the correction was yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So right. I, I, mean, I think it's asymmetric. I if hear there's a deal. Big upswing. Tossing
2: around numbers like 10 to 15 percent increase in the S&P 500 oh, over whatever period of time if you get a deal with China. Yeah, I, mean, I, that I don't see that
6: unachievable. I mean, multiples have compressed that much. I don't see why they wouldn't, you know, if they mean reverted back to where they were in February, that would be 10, 15 percent right there.
2: All that said, do, do you think, as I asked the, the group here, that the correction's over or not?
6: I do. I mean, I would be a buyer into year-end. I worry a little bit about next year. I mean, you know, I think that um, a lot of the benefits that we've enjoyed over the last nine years are going away. <laughs> so, you know, cheap capital is, is changing. Um, cash yields are actually starting to be competitive with other asset classes. So, you know, I think we're towards the end, and I wouldn't necessarily sell into year-end, I mean, largely because of the seasonal um, uh, biases. But I do think next year is a year to to sort of think hard about.
5: So I'm curious, everybody that I'm talking to kind of agrees with you that red wave, short-term bullish, long-term bearish. Usually well, when everybody yeah. agrees on one thing, it never it's, happens. It's wrong. Right? Yeah. So, so can you explain that, <laughs> right. what's I mean, going on there? Well,
6: I guess just simplistically, and, and this is probably pretty obvious, but, you know, if if we see, maintain, the Republicans at a, a sweep would try to jam as much growth into the pipelines over the next couple of years for re-election, and that could cause the pace of the Fed to be even faster than what's anticipated and if that's the linchpin for this market uh, you know the fed usually ends the party and that would that's likely what would happen this time we'd probably see more inflation etc so kind of the typical late stage, rally, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, if it is different this time, maybe that maybe a Fed, that they could sustain that bull market a little bit longer if they the sort of meter out the growth in a more rational way, rather than just jam it all in over the next two years.
1: Mm. Can I ask you about the, the quantitative work you do on an earnings revision? So you yeah. put out this note that talks about how we're still above average in terms of earnings, re- earnings revision ratios, which is right. positive. How about the tech sector, which is higher than the average, but their earnings were always higher. Is, yeah. it, is that coming in more than the rest of the market, and does that concern you?
6: So tech earnings still look pretty good, but sales are starting to falter. And that's what worries me, is that if margins are at peaks, right. at, at peak levels, especially for tech, which is at like kind of all-time peaks, um, and they're no longer uh, benefiting from tax arbitrage and labor arbitrage and all these other great things, and then now they're starting to see a deceleration in sales, that's not a great scenario. So, I mean, I think out of all of the sectors, high growth tech is our least favorite place to be right now. Just because, you know, it's seen a great run. It's got no regulatory issues, which might start to pop up here and there. And, um, and you know, the the fundamental backdrop doesn't look as rosy as it did, you know, a year or two ago.
2: Right, okay. Savita, it's good to see you as always. Thanks yeah, so much. Yeah, great to see you.
6: All right. Thanks. Savita
2: Subramanian, Bank of
3: America, Merrill Lynch. Let, let's trade it. Guy? She's encouraging. I mean, she's. I think there's a hint the
6: of bullshits.
2: The tech bullshit.
8: wild card,
3: though, I just don't know. I don't know either. And I'll say this. You know, I think people are can, I don't know if convince convinces word. I think the market is just accepting the fact that a deal with the Chinese will get done. I'm not so sure. You had a great interview with Larry Kudlow. Larry didn't seem all that uh, enthusiastic about a deal getting done. And I would push back and say, everybody thinks when President Trump is ready, the Chinese will come running to the table. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think they have far more leverage than we give them credit could for. Could a change
1: in the House affect the, the negotiation posture, too? I mean, it, it could soften a little bit, although that's really the administration. Um, but I, I tend to agree, as we, we talked about who's going to perform or, or what to the end of the year. I mean, look at semis again. Another really poor day for semis relative to the market. Um, names like NVIDIA, high multiple names continue to underperform. It's very difficult to see how that tide is going to turn in the next, at least in the, in the end of the year. Yeah. So, I, I would be cool.
5: My biggest concern is if we do get this red wave, that people start to price in a faster Fed immediately. Everybody thinks you're going to get this bullish move. And I'm just concerned. I mean, we know from the last election that polls ha- are just completely wrong. We can't trust those whatsoever. So you find out that all of a sudden we've got a red wave, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market sell off on increased Fed concern.
2: I'm still not convinced that the market, can go up to the levels that Savita and others talk about without technology because it's such a huge part of the S&P 500. The flip of of that is if you do get the market, uh, you know, if there's a more positive bias towards stocks, you've got to believe that those stocks are going to go up if the overall market goes up, right?
3: I think a China have deal one without the gets other. those technology
2: stocks back to those levels. I'm saying, for, forget about the deal happening between now and the end of the year. I mean, chances of that, I think, are slim. I agree. Right. So even in, real, in a benign
1: real. tape, I think your point is hard to see that leadership reassert yeah. itself in the way that we would like to see it. And I, I tend to. Agree. I can't I, imagine the market going up without it. Well, I, I think you're you're potentially getting some leadership from banks, again, have started to reassert themselves after significant underperformance. I think consumer discretionary and I, I still hold out hope that this holiday season is going to be one of the best on record and I think those are names that were
2: sold off into the Should number. be, given the um, the numbers from the consumer yeah' they're that we've seen. Alright, coming up, a number of travel-related stocks are reporting earnings after the bell. Booking holdings, Marriott, Avis all on the way. We're going to tell you what Wall Street's saying about those reports. There the stocks moving in after hours. Plus, energy Stock surging back after what was the worst month for the sector in seven years. A top technician is going to come by, tell us uh, whether you should believe in the bounce. And later, it could be the most controversial fast pitch ever. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guy God. Adami I'm stepping probably. up to the plate Where's to the tell us pitch? the one beaten down tech stock he thinks you should buy right now. That's exciting. We are live from Times Square in New York City, and there is much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Travel names booking Marriott and Avis on the move after reporting earnings. Seema Modi's got the latest on what Wall Street had to say about those results. Hi, Seema.
8: Hey, Scott. All right, let's start with booking holdings. That stock is up about 6% here in After Hours. Mark Mahaney at RBC Capital Markets says he's incrementally more positive on booking in the wake of these results and that this quarter's results indicate a reacceleration in bookings and room night growth after a year of consistent deceleration. And that fourth quarter outlook implies that the company is seeing stabilization and growth. Now, a different story for Marriott. Shares are dropped after hours as the hotel operators uh, revenue per available room growing well below expectations due to weakness in North America and it does come after its rival Hilton A week ago, reported a slowdown in the U.S. market, citing higher input costs and interest rates behind the decline in deal flow. Ahead of Marriott's report tonight, Cowan analysts mentioned tighter lending markets as a headwind uh, for Marriott. That stock down about 5 percent. Lastly, a disappointing report from Avis Budget Car. And that stock, as you can see, also down a similar amount by 6 percent. Scott, sending it back to you.
2: I appreciate it, Seema. Thank you very much. Uh, Let's trade it on the
3: desk. Who well, Marriott, it? oh, sorry. No, no, go, go ahead, I, Guy. Go, go has been traveling like a Please. fool. No, but no. Marriott, I, I think Marriott comes down a couple things. It's had a rough year. It's bounced over the last couple of weeks from about 100 to 120-ish. I think it's a valuation story now. It's funny. Savita was just talking about how earnings growth has been there, but maybe revenue growth is sort of waning, and that's exactly what we're seeing here with Marriott. So you have to ask yourself, you know, has it come too much too fast over the last couple weeks, and is valuation a concern? I would say yes. You look at their full-year guidance, and to me the stock probably revisits $100 a share.
5: And connect the dots with Hilton and with Avis, and you start to see some weakness across. I actually think booking is the outlier there. I would not look at that for a signal of what's going on, but all of these companies across the board are seeing slowing. So for the whole year, Marriott has been horrible. I think it goes lower. I, I like booking here. I actually
1: think you know the the, the at least the bull cases they're going to see double digit growth on book uh, on, on per night bookings, and that actually the EBITDA margin expansion is a big story here. I think these guys have a lot more levers to pull in terms of making their business more profitable, and I don't see it as being a direct um, corollary. Cor- or, uh,
4: Corollary. 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 It's Here. okay for me to say yeah, well, yeah. Uh, on
1: the economy or, or on the consumer. Yeah, or I, you
4: know, <laughs> that matter.
1: I'm Clearly specific, not. Is,
4: <laughs> is Avis specific to Avis? Is it not about travel? Is it more about the right. unique challenges to their business? And, Mary, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we saw Expedia had. earnings Which would be similar to Cor-o-lary. a corollary. Say with me. Corollary. Corollary. To yes. yeah. yeah. so bookings. But they, I, it got it? <sighs> yeah. Now I
1: think I do. Okay, I'm sorry, Karen. Go ahead,
4: please. No, the, although the Marriott, it didn't read that well. I mean, North American growth was really not particularly good. But I, I do still think, think it's what Tim said off earlier. The revenues were a little light, but I think the consumer is out there. The consumer spending money. Crushing it.
3: But does that mean, Scott, and you do a show at noon, great show, and I'm sure you have these conversations. I, the, the consumer's optimism, record level, spending money without question. But my question back would be, should they be spending money, or are we making the same mistakes in 18 as we made in 08? 08? Look, they'd well, they'd, eight.
10: they'd, they'd I always better.
5: count on the American consumer to spend yes. money. I Whether mean, or that's, not they should, that's what we're Has fantastic to do with it. I mean, Exactly. But
1: <laughs> their wages have recovered to the best level since, since the crisis. I mean, you, once you fell below 4%, by the way, this is what's brought the Fed back into play. So, I mean, there is another side to this. But the consumer on its own, I know you're worried about the, ba- the household balance sheet. You, you quote these numbers a lot, which I think is
2: relevant. Um, I think they're going to continue to spend aggressively in the next three to six months. All right. For more on earnings season and what it means for the market, head over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else
5: is coming up on Fast. Yep, Apple shares are getting smashed. But one trader says this could be the best chance to buy the stock. Plus, up through the ground, come a bubble and Oil is bouncing back, and the chartmaster says, this is the bounce you've been waiting for. He'll explain why he's buying with both hands. There's much more Fast Money after this.
9: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: posting its biggest two-day loss the company is in five years. For more on that, let's get to Dom Chu back at headquarters. Hey, Dom.
11: Well, Scott, it's still the biggest company out there, but it's gotten smaller, and it's worth less than a trillion dollars at this point. Apple had been one of the standout outperformers in the recent market turmoil, holding up relatively well compared to other tech and communication services stocks. But that narrative changed pretty quickly on the heels of its earnings report last week, which was generally positive, but for concerns about its current quarter forecast and its big decision to stop quarterly updates on unit sales figures for the iPhone, the iPad and Mac computers. Now, the negative sentiment as of late has translated into a loss of roughly $122 billion in market value just since the end of September. As the biggest publicly traded company out there, Apple has a lot of influence over market cap-weighted indices for obvious reasons, like the S&P 500, like the Nasdaq Composite, and of course, the large cap Nasdaq 100. And that means if you are invested in mutual funds or exchange-traded funds tied to those indices, you might have a ton of exposure. For example, the SPYder S&P 500 ETF, that ticker SPY, a 4% weighting in line with the underlying index inline also means it's a 12% weighting of the Invesco QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100. In the past, Apple dips have been ones worth buying, as evidenced by its march to be the biggest publicly traded company out there. But will a perception of slowing smartphone sales, perhaps less transparency around financial reporting, cloud things this time around, Scott, and that's going to be a big part of the story. Back over to you.
2: Dom, thanks very much. Uh, Let's trade it. What in the world is going on with this name? I mean, it gets below 200 bucks.
5: It's, is yeah, it is mean, a golden say, opportunity or not? I mean, for a trade, maybe. But the problem is you don't have any visibility into it anymore. That's going to keep a certain type of investor out of it. I still think you're kind of making the same bet in that, do you believe that Apple's going to be able to outperform and out-execute anybody else? But again, maybe, we're, maybe it's slowing. Maybe this is another part of it and the entire ecosystem is slowing. I'm as concerned as you about the idea that tech is underperforming. I just think it's going to be very difficult to have the leader of the market underperform, and still have a good stock But of all the companies that that have, you know, I mean,
1: they didn't drop a donut. In fact, their numbers were pretty good. The growth, I think, remains intact. Um, But so back to of all the companies that actually disappointed in some way, Apple's disappointment to me is company-related. It's not secular. Um, I know they talked about weaker emerging markets. I know they talked about a $2 billion FX headwind but it's really about this guidance. It's about a corporate governance hit, if you ask me, for a company that was as impeccable as they came. So I think this is an opportunity What's for- What's the corporate guidance issue? Well, the, the corporate governance oh, oh, issue- govern- yeah. Governance issue is a transparency issue. I'm not saying that there's rampant issues. I'm telling you, this is a company that was given a premium, premium multiple, and again, relative to itself, based upon the quality of this management team, their ability to communicate, their ability to understand their business, and their ability to, to essentially give investors confidence. That has been shaken. And I think, Scott, to your question, I think people that want to own Apple here are going to be paid off. But I don't think that in the short run that is overcome quickly.
2: Golden opportunity or not, Karen, for, for this. golden stop?
4: apple. Uh, OK, I got it. <laughs> um, I'm long it, it. It hasn't felt so golden recently However, the you know, the the. The valuation is not crazy at all. I really continue to believe in the evolution from the hardware company to a mix of more hardware and software, with the, uh, hardware services rather, with that higher multiple that would go along with it. I, I, I don't think it's a corporate governance issue. I think it was really telegraphed terribly, terribly. They did a terrible job. The company it doesn't want to tell it.
1: you about their core business, the most right. important part of their business. Do you think that's not something that they should be given a ding for in terms of transparency I and insight? I think that
4: the street... What well, we've seen other companies change the metrics that they give the street, and it takes some time, and analysts get used to it. I think the way they announced it was terrible. I think they should have announced it somewhere down the road, we're going to do this. I think they did it right in the middle of a call instead of it should have been Part, front and center. Part of the issue right? is... That, that was disappointing. But ultimately, the numbers are going to be where the numbers are going to be. And we're, this will be in the rearview mirror in six months. But beyond the,
2: beyond the way they announced it, the fact that they announced it at all leads people to wonder whether things are bad, right? They wouldn't yes. do this if, if, if everything right. was great.
4: That's why I say if the numbers are good, then we'll, then we'll feel like, all right, that wasn't why they announced it. But people are panicked now because it doesn't, it doesn't feel great. We'll see in six months whether it's okay. All
2: right. Guy, you, you think this could be the perfect time to buy well, Apple, so I just, why don't you head on over and to the plasma? Wall- uh, give show us your fast pitch. The power
3: pitch. Are you familiar with the power pitch? I am. That's, fast, a the fast the, pitch. that's uh, what a trader I from the, the desk you. I apparently you're not as familiar as I am. <laughs> the smart board and, and pitches a stock. So you know what? Why not have been away for a few days? Apple sold off. So why don't we pitch Apple? Why buy Apple, you ask? I'm glad you asked. And you know, we just talked about this. It's like Dom saw my notes. Tim said it as well. Number one, slowing growth doesn't mean no growth. Yes, growth slowed, but you still have significant growth there. It's not like it went away entirely. Number two, wearables and healthcare pipeline. I will tell you, I think the upside, the optionality, if Apple gets it right on the healthcare wearable front, is tremendous. Some people talk about it. I don't think it's at all priced into the stock. If they figure it out, I think it absolutely changes the calculus on their multiple. And we've seen this movie before. I mean, let's just show a chart and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Why have we seen this movie before? Well, just look over the last few years. You have seen downdrafts in the stock of this magnitude a number of times and each time the stock is recovered. Why? It's always different, it always feels bad, but they always figure it out. Yes, to Karen's point, I think their communication on no longer giving numbers was terrible, but the market will look past that. And maybe in their mind they're saying we want to get away from the hardware multiple and we want to get into a services multiple, and this is how we do it, by ripping the Band-Aid off. I have a question for you. Uh, let's talk about services revenue. Were you disappointed by
1: 17%? That seemed to be where the momentum in the stock really was going, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves.
3: Yeah, I think people – clearly the market wants to see that number closer to 20, 21%. I get it. It doesn't happen in a straight line, so the growth has absolutely slowed. But tra- tra- trajectory is still correct. So I understand why people are taking a pause here. I understand why the stock sold off. Quite frankly, a few months ago, you know, we did the calculus and said with a market multiple, given their earnings next year, Apple's worth $241 a share. I think it got up to $234. We also said the potential downside on a broader market sell-off is $185. Here we are at 200 So this is not an exact science. But again, I think the market has provided you, and I hate using the word I rarely do, with an opportunity to buy the stock yet again.
2: Okay. Thank you for the pitch. Find out if we're buying it now. Timmy? Yeah, we are buying it. I think this is a
1: great call. I think this is an oversold moment. I don't know when it's going to turn, but I like the fundamentals in this company. What is and that I, Who is that in the picture? That's Guy Domi, everybody.
12: Oh. I mean, that's, of course. Yeah,
1: zoom yeah. in. He's Obviously. wearing a purple shirt. He's wearing a purple, purple shirt. shirt. It's not, it's not terrible. It's not my best, sure. but it's not
2: terrible. Looks like Count Dracula. <laughs> if the shoe Garrett. fits.
4: Yes, I agree. I have Apple as a buy here. It's been a little rocky, I admit, but. Down the road, I think we'll still continue to see growth. I agree with Gee. BK. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to say
5: buy it, but it's more of a trade for me. I, this market to me is a very uh, well, tactical okay, market. So, so against what, against the 200-day right, So where are you going to get average, out, then, Mr. Huh? Trader? Where you're am going to buy get it out? here, and then what yeah. are you going to do? I don't know. I'll get out at maybe 220, 10% higher. He's also, How's that sound? He's also so it's going to hit like a trade it or fade okay. it kind of a thing. I see
1: what yeah. you're doing, Brian. You see what I, I, do? I, I the understand. Don't trade it, don't fade it. Right. On exactly. our show, we actually use trade it as a term that means buy it. Right. I'm just trying to play by the rules of the game.
2: Right. That's confusing. That's
5: what BK does. Trade it, don't fade it.
2: it. Says everything about where Apple is sentiment-wise. You got to do a fast pitch on Apple, of all stocks that are out there, right? Have you ever done a fast yeah. pitch on this
3: name before? Yeah. Is that directed at me? Yeah. Looking I've been right been at you. At this stock, I've I'm looking right, right at you. Pete Nigerian has pitched this name a number of times, correctly, I might add, and I'm certain Karen Tim or BK at some point has as well. But with that said, this is my maiden fast pitch voyage in terms of Apple. <laughs> okay. All right, come on back over.
2: Buys all the round, but are you buying guys pitch for Apple? Vote in our Twitter ooh, poll at ooh, CNBC ooh, Fast Money. We'll give you the results later in the show. Plus, energy stocks catching a bid today, and one top technician says the rally is just getting started. We'll tell you which names to buy when Fast Money returns. Energy stocks catching fire this past week after the sector had its worst month in seven years in October Bob Pisani down at the New York Stock Exchange to break down those moves for us. Bob.
12: Has energy bottomed? You know, it's been an ugly month for the energy complex. After passing $75 in early October, the bottom fell out of the oil market on oversupply concerns and weak economic data in China. There's more. There's the sanctions on Iranian oil. They kicked in on Sunday. The market's known about this for months, but when the market realized all four-some-odd million barrels of Iranian oil wouldn't disappear at once, and that many countries would be exempt from these sanctions, oil took another leg down. Today, oil rallied in the middle of the day. Everybody was helpful, but it fell into the close, dropping again to its lowest level since April. The only good news is that big oil stocks like Chevron and Total, BP, Occidental, they all held on to 2 to 3% gains. Those gains are partly due to a big natural gas rally, up 8% on reports that November could be a colder month than anticipated. So companies with big nat gas business like Chesapeake, EQT, Southwestern, Cabot Oil, up 4 to 8%. But today's modest rally can't hide these declines. It's ugly. Cabot Oil is the only major energy stock up in the last month, while big names like Apache, Marathon, Hess, and EOG, they're all down
2: about 20%. Back to you, Scott. Okay. Bob, thank you very much. Bob Pisani, our next guest, says there is more steam left in this energy rally. Chartmaster Carter braxton worked at the plasma to break it all down. W- Dubs.
7: Sure. So not so much a rally. Of course, been going straight down for a month, but one day can often be the beginning of something. Um, I want to look at the past uh, one month of trading, how aggressive it was, and play for a bounce. A simple trade, uh, a fast money um, item that uh, should be quite right, I think. Crude oil. Here it is, one-month performance versus nat gas, up 12, gold, copper, crude oil down 15%. And actually, from peak to trough, it's 18%. 76.70 a barrel down to 62.70 a barrel. So with that setup, um, what has happened every instance, going back as far as data uh, is available, when crude has dropped 15% or more in a one-month period, 20 sessions? And what has happened is the following. On average, it is up one week later 1.4 percent, three weeks later 2 percent, five weeks later 3 percent. So you can call it oversold, you can just call it so bad it's good. It's dropped $14 a barrel, uh, almost straight down, and today there's a little bit of stabilization. I'm betting that it's the beginning of something, um, and I would uh, play it accordingly. Here's a chart of crude oil over the last two years, no lines or annotations by me. Here is the trend line, it is very clear. And we have bounced off this line once. We've bounced off it again. And we are sitting on here today. And that's exactly where it came to life. So I'm betting that you're going to get this kind of circumstance yet again, a fairly straightforward setup. Okay. Also, there's this. Now, this is the same chart of crude over the past two and a half years. This current RSI reading is one of the lowest on record over the past two years. And every single time when it has been down here, crude has bounced. And that's the bet we're going to make again, that you're going to get some sort of bounce off this low. That's the setup. Let's look at two stocks. Conoco, Phillips and Hess, the virtual railroad tracks. Look at it. Um, almost identical performance. Individually, they are each down more than 20%. Here's Conoco. That's double. There's beta in the equity market relative to the commodity market. Down 20 versus crude, down um, 15. Hess, down almost 25. I'm going to make the bet that they're oversold. They're so bad they're good that one can trade them on the long side.
3: Bye. All right. Come on back over. Come on this way. Well, just before, he, we usually like to vote on, but that's okay. <laughs> no, you no, no. I, I made the decision. decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The decision. The executive decision is coming, right, coming over. do to Scott. That's what Melissa does, too. He can
2: do whatever he wants. <laughs> that's a good so, point, and he yeah. did. He so, did. So, you, know. you, believe, you believe in what
3: Mr. Worth? Well, there is a hierarchy you believe his of technicians, and Carter sits on the top <laughs> of the hierarchy. So, yes. Is there a I, bounce coming? I do believe there's a bounce. I think the sell-off is completely overdone. I think the sell-off in the levered names is ridiculous. A name like Anadarko Petroleum, which in October was a $70 item, is traded now to $54. That's a huge move in a short amount of time. If you get a commensurate bounce in crude, I think you'll see the levered names do even better.
4: Can I ask you a question? So, so. Um, He's not <laughs> relative, and it's right near the bottom of the relative chart, which is interesting. If right. it were get, to get back to the, to the top of the relative sure. channel, what kind of appreciation would that be for either oil well, or Phillips? So wh- wh- if you just correlated. look
7: at the stats, let's start with the stats first, right? What we see is that when crude is drawn down this much on a very quick 20 session period, typically you get a bounce somewhere between one and three percent average. But remember, an average is ones that didn't work and obviously ones that are quite a bit more. I think you can get crude back to about $68 a barrel. All right, we were from about 76 70 to 62 70 66 67 And um, a bounce in equities, of course, would be quite a bit more than that. So does it have to be Hess or go? No, you could play it. Uh, Guy mentions other names, but the principle is that even if you think crude's going back to $26 a barrel, where it was in the lows of 2016, the path lower, even if you believe that, passes through a higher price, presumptively. So
1: when I look at the triple Qs, we, we, the breakdown technically of those uh, back to levels we hadn't seen since 2016 in terms of the 200-day upset, I mean, with, with, with Brent, something similar has happened. We hadn't traded below the 200-day since basically July of 2017, and that's even more impressive when you consider the volatility of oil. Does that mean we're setting up for an environment where you know maybe we get that bounce, but that trajectory is gone for the, for the near future?
7: You're talking about both for equities and for-
1: I, mean for... I mean for energy. I mean for Brent. I mean for spot oil prices. I, th-
7: I think that's the better bet, that ultimately, look, crude had a big move off its uh, three-year low, and that uh, it got a little ahead of itself, whether it's uh, WTI or Brent, and that this give-back is presumptively not just a pause, but it's the beginning of something more severe. But the issue is for just trying to make money, right? right. Is this a trade that one would be short or long here after this sell-off? And I'm thinking... That I'd rather be long than short. All right,
2: Carter, okay. thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, Carter Worth. For more on the energy space, tune in to Mad Money tonight, 6 p.m. Jim's doing a deep dive into the recent oil slick. You'll see him right there on, cam- on the Kramer cam, and you don't want to miss that at the top of the hour. Still ahead, the countdown to the midterms is officially on. It could be a make-or-break moment for marijuana. All of those details and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tomorrow's midterm elections could mark a milestone moment for marijuana. Aditi Roy is in San Francisco with more on that story. Aditi.
0: Hi, Scott. The cannabis industry is very closely monitoring the midterms for some key ballot initiatives and also state and congressional races, which could help push forward some more progressive marijuana laws. Let's start with those ballot initiatives. Voters in Michigan and North Dakota are considering legalizing recreational marijuana, while Utah and Missouri are mulling medical marijuana legalization. If all four pass, the new markets could bring in an additional $780 million by 2022. That's according to forecast by Arcview Market Research in partnership with BDS Analytics. Michigan is one of those states that a lot of insiders are watching most closely because if passed, the measure would make the state the first in the Midwest to legalize recreational marijuana. That could have a ripple effect. Utah, another critical state. It is so heavily read, passage of the medical marijuana measure could send a strong signal to Washington. Analysts are also closely watching the Illinois governor's race. The Democratic candidate, J.B. Pritzker, wants to legalize recreational marijuana there. And a lot of U.S. companies that I talk to are also closely watching congressional races because there are several marijuana bills locked up in the pipeline. The most notable one is the States Act, which would leave legalization up to states, Joe Lusardi, CEO of Curaleaf, which went public in Canada last week, told me today the States Act is one of the primary ones he's monitoring most closely. Keep in mind, the latest Gallup poll shows two out of three Americans now support legalizing marijuana. Another issue weighing very heavily for the pro-federal legalization side is that there are currently 51 U.S. cannabis companies on the Canadian Securities Exchange, making up nearly $9.5 trillion in market cap. Scott, back to you.
2: All right, Aditi, thank you very much. Before we get the trade here, we should also note that Tim Seymour is all over the cannabis craze. He is long a number of names, sits on the advisory board, in fact, for three-pot stocks. For a list of those disclosures, please head to fast. Uh, (laughs) So, with that said, you have trades here? So, he did a great job of framing midterm elections. I actually think the most
1: important is is Pete Sessions, who's got a congressional fight in the 32nd District of Texas. This is the guy that rules the House Rules Committee, sits over that. He's blocked over 35 bills from hitting the floor that would actually be geared towards cannabis reform. He loses... Cannabis wins, and it looks like he could lose. Uh, Bottom line, again, those states, very important. Look, think about the companies like Cureleaf or MedMen or, you know, companies that are out there that are trading that actually have a first-mover advantage in states where either you're going to see a change or, you know, again, we talked about these gubernatorial races. New York, Cuomo, very on board for full legalization. So the companies that have that, you know, that footprint in the form of licenses and dispensaries, I think have a first-mover advantage. But either way, I think... The States Act is very important. I think no matter what happens uh, on Tuesday tomorrow, we're ahead of the game.
2: All right, coming up, the NFL getting in on the Fortnite frenzy, bringing its football uniforms to the popular video game. We're going to tell you what it means for the growing world of esports. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square, and there is much more fast still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Even the NFL now is getting in on the Fortnite frenzy, according are announcing a partnership, excuse me, earlier today with the game's publisher Epic. For more on how the NFL is getting its game on, let's head to Julia Borston out in Los Angeles. Julia.
13: Scott, that's right. The NFL is getting in on the Fortnite phenomenon starting Thursday. People playing the hit game will be able to purchase NFL themed outfits or skins for their avatars, male or female, from the Fortnite item shop. Now, players can choose a uniform from any of the 32 NFL league teams and can customize the number on the jersey. This is the first time that Epic Games, the private company that makes Fortnite, has partnered with another company for skins or outfits for it. Players, Epic Games saying they know so many of Fortnite's fans also love football that this was "quote too cool an opportunity to pass up." No specific price on the NFL skins, but skins typically cost between twelve to fifteen dollars, um, and they're paid for with what's called V Bucks inside the game. Fortnite's battle royale mode enables up to one hundred people to play at once, and it became a massive phenomenon since its September 2017 release, earning Epic Games over one hundred billion dollars as of last month. Now, the NFL already has a huge presence in video games with its Madden NFL partnership with EA Sports. And on the heels of the NFL, showing some massive ratings on Sunday, it's worth noting that just yesterday, numbers were up across the network's NBC Sunday Night Football between the Patriots and the Packers, was the highest rated game since it launched in 2006. Scott, over All right,
3: head. Julia, thank you very much. Let's trade it. Guy Adami. Take two is a way to play. They report, I, th- I think they report this week, and it's outperf- well, it's outperformed while the other names have not performed. That's, I think, telling you something in the earnings. Valuation is clearly a concern, but when you look at this stock trading 125, given the move it's had, as opposed to like Electronic Arts, which has been taken out to the woodshed, I think the market is trying to tell you something. So, so, for me, it's TTWO.
1: No, that's fair. It has outperformed. And if you look at Blizzard, who does report uh, on Thursday, Call of Duty is, is one of these names that people are watching to see the numbers on that. Their move to mobile, very important. But bottom line is these guys went from mega growth to actually barely growing at all. And that's not way to go at a time when competition is getting very, very steep. I still like this name. I actually don't own it, but I think you can start to pick over it. I don't think you need to buy it in
2: earnings. Amazing, though, this it- announcement that Julia was talking about, yet another thing that's going to get kids to play Fortnite and maybe not some of these marquee brand right. names that they've been so accustomed well, to over but, the last many years. Well, but
5: I actually think there's something important here. I mean, this concept of your digital twin, where you're able to buy a wardrobe, for uh, lack of a better word, <laughs> for your online avatar. I actually think this is a, a huge step forward that I don't think people see so, how, how you can monetize this. Disney, to me, is the way to play
1: it. W- what would you do? Would you trade the bear suit in for, like, a Chicago Bears skin, for example? <laughs> well, I'm a Patriots I mean-
5: fan, so Tom Terrific. Wow. I'd wear kid- that shirt. All right. As Tim mentioned, one of the biggest names in the
2: space is gearing up for earnings this week. Dan Nathan's out in L.A. to give us a preview of that. Hey, Dan.
10: Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, Activision Blizzard reports Thursday after the close, as Tim just said, the options market is implying a pretty massive move, about 8%. That's after the stock got drilled today um, about 7% on some negative fan reaction to this uh, Diablo Immortal Mobile game. Um, You know, again, the stock doesn't move so much, usually on earnings, about 3%. But call volume today ran really hot a few days before earnings when the stock was down. It was about three times that of puts. There was one interesting trade that caught my eye. You know, I don't usually like to see um, unusual activity as a predictor of anything's going to happen. But in this instance today, it appeared that a trader rolled down some calls specifically targeting earnings. They were already long the November next week 70 calls. They sold those to close and they bought 2,500 of the November 65 and a half calls to open for about $2.15. So that is likely a trader who's been long this thing on this ride down or at least long calls. And he's kind of increasing their probability of success by tightening up the uh, expiration to this Friday and a little bit closer uh, to the money. All
2: right. Good stuff, Danny. Thank you. Dan, yep. Nathan. Dan Nathan out in L.A. for more options, actually check out the full show. Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Up next, we'll give you final trades. Welcome back. You know what song Guy Adami listens to on repeat on his iPhone? Oh!
9: Wow.
2: The time of my life, right? Come on, Jennifer Warren.
6: Look at that. <laughs> nice. I mean, I think
9: overbike down, me, and right everything. Yeah. That, that nice work, guy. You never,
1: you never, win. Never I'm, I'm shocked. Never. I'm, I'm never. shocked that
2: the Twitter sphere said to buy uh, Apple. The people who voted. I'm not <laughs> really. I'm In fact, shocked. I'm not even going to give
1: this victory to guy. I'm actually going to claim that that was the love most Apple. fixed yeah. fast
2: pitch of all time. Anyway,
1: all right, final trades. Final Tim trade. I, I think the OSX oversold. I would be nibbling Halliburton here.
5: H A L. All right, Karen
2: Feinderman. you I think
5: oversold. I think UPS oversold. Speakers, I like it right here. Uh, speaking of overbought, I think Lockheed Martin. You sell that one, LMT. You know, it's
3: interesting, Scott. It doesn't matter really. How you interesting win. is it? it doesn't matter how you you, you won. the game. Mean interception. I mean, come on. You're you're not not winning. The audience has spoken, Tim. It doesn't
2: matter. Right, We're not winning dances with the stars. of
3: Petroleum. All right. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Have a great night, everybody. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx.